Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. Today on the show, I had Jonathan Leong, the co-founder and CEO of Bitsy. Actually, one of the coolest derivative exchanges that's launching some new products that I actually know. Super cool. We had a great conversation, um, mostly about the world today, what Asia looks like, what the crypto world looks like, how it all works together. We talked about Jonathan's life, his background, and honestly, some really cool metrics and information that I didn't know. I asked him what he's excited about and what he's working on. And after doing the show today, I kind of want to invest in his next project. This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by BitPay and CoinGaming. Stick around for a little bit more about them later on in the episode. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them, and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the BlockWorks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at BlockWorksGroup.io. That's BlockWorksGroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Today on the show, I have Jonathan Leong, the co-founder and CEO of Bitsy. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Charlie. Derivatives really like exploded in the past, I don't know, six months to a year. It became such a big thing. Everyone's talking about it. Um, did you kind of foresee this? You, you, you bootstrapped and built this thing on your own. Um, you, you built like... Am I correct in the original code base? Everything you've built uh, from scratch to start. Th- did you think derivatives were going to be such a big deal in crypto, or were you just saying I'm going to take a shot at it and see what and see what happens? Well, I mean, if you look at traditional markets, derivatives are always one of the main um, uh, the main features that you got to have uh, if you want to really trade any asset. And being able to have a derivatives market for Bitcoin is actually one of the first most important steps in, uh, in global globalization of Bitcoin. I remember like in 2012, I was trying to launch a Bitcoin debit card and a lot of people were saying, um, a lot of people were saying it's a bad idea because we don't want to create more ways for people to sell Bitcoin. It was like a short minded, uh, argument, but it was in a short lived argument. But I remember I got a lot of flack from people a lot. And at the time, no one had even conceptualized building a debit card for you know to, to buy and sell Bitcoin. There weren't even ways to buy and sell Bitcoin. Hell, there weren't very many people who wanted to buy and sell Bitcoin. So why would I create a debit card? But it was more for the feelings, uh, for the same reasons that, that you've launched yours now and that you've wanted to launch yours now. Um, but a lot of people came at me and said, we don't want to allow people to sell Bitcoin. We don't. It's not a good idea. Let's have only people buy. And I said, if you don't have a free market where people are buying and selling, you know, freely whenever they want to, you're not going to have an accurate price. And then what we're doing is no better than, than a Ponzi scheme. Well, I would agree, right? I mean, and but also back then, 2012, and where we are now, the space has really evolved into, it's really evolved. And, you know, r- these days, you can fund your debit card with not just Bitcoin. But I do 
I do agree with the point that you know, uh, Bitcoin has to be widely adopted and widespread enough. And in order for that to happen and have that widespread adoption, you need the right tools for that, right? And having an ability to spend uh, is also as important as having the ability to make Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I completely agree with you. And a lot of people are, you know, would say that holders are not using Bitcoin, but I would argue, in fact, that holders and spenders, you need you need to be able to spend and use Bitcoin. And we're talking about Bitcoin, but really. Uh, I talk about Bitcoin, but also crypto sometimes interchangeably when I talk about the market as a whole. Whenever I talk to Bitcoin Cash people, I change change this to green, which I don't I don't talk to Bitcoin Cash. I'm just joking. I have everyone on the show because I like to get the, the right. But I love this lamp. I bought this on Amazon. Oh, if I keep great. it flashing, my editors will get mad at me. I just keep <laughs> it keep it on one color. It makes it much easier. But um, but tell me about you. Where where did you grow up? Uh, where did you get started? And you know, did you do anything when you were in university or whatever? Uh, did you work? Did you? I mean, how did you get your first life experiences? Um, yeah. Well, I was born and raised in Singapore. Um, an engineer by background. I started coding when I was fifteen. Fell in love with it. Um, at twenty one, I I built my first trading platform. Um, dropped out in university at the age of 22. And since then, I've never really looked back. Um, that was when I started my career in building um, high-performance trans- transaction platforms. Um, and I've been doing that for about 15 years now. Um, about six years ago, I started and got into venture building. I decided that uh, it was not just important knowing how to build up a code base and build up a platform, but actually understanding the things that drive a a business around it. And since then, uh, we've been looking at and invested in multiple projects that we always identify uh, got good potential and are really complementary to our ecosystem. Um, So, yeah, and Bitsy happens to be one of my latest uh, ventures that I find actually one of the most interesting um, projects that I've taken on. So you're a serial entrepreneur, different than uh, a lot of people in the space who this is kind of like their first, myself included, was my first foray into, into business. So a lot of people join the space and they start a company. They've never started a company before. You started different companies and projects. What was the first project that you started, at, you know, when you had let, you left university? What was that that made you, you know, stop going to class basically? Well, uh, my partner came to me and he had this uh, this platform that he needed built. And it was focused more towards um, FX trading. And what they required then was um, a simple order placement engine. But as it evolved, what it evolved into was uh, high-frequency trading. So we spent a good portion of that time realizing what was lacking um, that most people didn't have access to. And I felt that it was a very interesting um, concept, right? And worst case scenario, if it didn't work out, at the age of 22, I could always go back to school. But as we built on it, we learned a lot of life experiences and really evolved um, the way we saw things. You know, I just had a great conversation with someone in the elevator when I was getting this coffee about high-frequency trading. And I want to ask you to to teach me a little bit. So... um, 
Do you remember uh, the stock Hertz like exploded last week? It went up like 600% and it was mostly, uh, it was, it was like Hertz declared bankruptcy car rental company in the U S for those who don't know. And uh, what had happened was millennials and younger people have been buying stocks on Robinhood and the like for many years. Uh, But until, you know, Hertz is one of those companies that everyone's used. And that was like the company that shot up. And when the stock market, when they declared bankruptcy, they said that 45% of all the trading that day was done by Robinhood users. So 45% of the purchasing or the trading on the stock market in the U.S. that day were these retail traders on Robinhood. How is that affected? Like, because, well, Robinhood is, is really, they're not, there's, Robinhood is not retail buying these stocks. They're actually just using high frequency trading bots. They're using, um, prop desks to buy all their their stocks how does that end up working like uh aren't high frequency traders and bots supposed to like follow the market and and create and 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 close the gaps and the inefficiencies of the market and and find arbitrage opportunities what what does it look like to you when a stock market is now traded like 50 percent by one specific type of entity i guess you kind of see where i'm going with this question yeah, well, I mean, it, it's been a it's been a a long time subject, Crazy. right? That yeah. that you know, high frequency trading brings an unfair advantage and takes advantage of retail traders, right? Yeah, uh, and you know, spending billions of dollars to minimize latency is uh, something that's not new for Wall Street, and that's just how it is, right? I mean, th- uh, there have been um, and there have been times where, you know, people have tried to address this, but unfortunately it hasn't really been addressed. Uh, if you talk about market efficiency, I mean, that's how all these firms, you know, make, make their money. money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality of it. And that's where they're going to get their flows from, right? You get good, healthy flows from retail. <laughs> that's the reality. Is the, you do, you get good, healthy flows from retail. In fact, it's kind of crazy uh, that these it's it's and no one's really talking about it. And I think because these so if you if you notice like and I try to tell people, it's like you have to understand big business owns the media. Government controls the media or whatever, you know, whatever country you're in, that's a relative scale. But let's just take that blanket statement for a second. They're not going to allow information that makes you more money and makes them less to be talked about in the mainstream media. So, for example, the fact that retail traders and retail buyers and just normal people like you and I, and I grab my phone, like I talk, I call like kind of cell phone traders, people that do things on their phones, like buy stocks, buy Bitcoin on your on their phones. Uh, the mainstream media doesn't really want you to know that airlines right now, instead of raising money from banks, United Airlines, you know, is going to get a bank, a mortgage bank. But you know what the Middle Eastern airlines are doing and the Asian airlines are doing? They're actually going to people directly and selling miles with big bonuses for cash now to raise money. So you have the ability for billion dollar airlines to raise money from people like you and I. That's that is an unbelievable thing here, because then you have all these middlemen desks and traders and, 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 and investment banks and the companies that you worked for and the Goldman Sachs, all those companies, the real money's made in between lines, all those companies now, there's, they're, they're obsolete. Same thing with Bitcoin. Bitcoin and crypto make, it takes away all these middlemen. And you're going to see now, I think, you're going to see that completely take over. 
I get very excited about this. Well, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, that's the way the world is, right? And that's how mainstream media works. That's that's the reality. But the one good thing that you know is that regardless of manipulation, is what Bitcoin brings to that table, right? As mm-hmm. it continues to uh, permeate uh, society, you start to see that people are starting to believe in it, right? Believe in it or not, time will oh, tell. that's a good point. And then with that 21 million supply and that continuous halving process that's always repeatedly ongoing, that really does paint a very different picture compared to your airline stocks and, and whatnot, right? It does create a very different picture. And that's a very interesting point. Let me ask you a question. What do you think are the most important metrics for like looking at, this is a hard question because I don't even know the answer. Like the global or the the big, big, big picture, 10 year, if we, if we take like Bitcoin or crypto and 90 years from now, we look at it as like in 10 year periods, right? How do, what kind of metrics can we look at that'll like give us that big picture of how we're doing? Or let's just say we look at it as like five year periods and now we're in year what, 11 or whatever. How do you think it's going to look the first five years, the second five years? What are metrics? Because I think you said one very good. You said belief. Belief is an unquantifiable metric that I think is so important for for, for Bitcoin because uh, belief and the belief that we're a safe haven asset, the belief of all these, belief of security, the belief that it'll exist 100 years from now. You think that's a, what other type of metrics are there? I know I'm throwing a lot of shit at you today. Because you're very smart and I want to, I need to like bounce off ideas off, you know, my research from like, oh, this guy knows his shit. I'm going to, I'm going to ask him some questions. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> um, well, it comes down to which, who remains the world power, right? In my opinion, what is the world's reserves, uh, reserve currency and what is health and what's yeah. backing that, right? Governments are still going to be, uh, depending which government is in control <laughs> at the end of the day. Right, handling that reserve currency, and as long as let's say uh, the United States remains uh, um, a leader, the dollar will always remain superior in that sense. Now, whether the dollar value uh, remains, of course, comes to that form of belief, right? So, yeah. it, you know, it, it's all interlinked, right? And at the end of the day, in my opinion, the whole game is rigged. <laughs> the whole game is rigged and it's like living in the matrix. If you know the whole game is rigged, can you now play play within the game? Um, you're in Singapore. You grew up in Singapore. Singapore follows like a very, very wildly different uh, capitalism model. Um, what do you think of it? Because uh, here on one end, you have like a, an, an amazing free market and and arguably now you would say that Singapore has become or is becoming the financial capital of the world, especially after Hong Kong and especially after, you know, how things are have played out. If anything, people have woken up to the fact that there are other places. But Singapore is interesting because while you have very, very free market, the government itself is extremely controlling. Like, like, but it's also you're very clean and like... I guess my question is, I was always raised to believe that you need to have, and, I, and I'd like for you to like open up my ears to this and, and, and teach me, because I was always raised to believe that 
capitalism is the best form of economic, you know, uh, the best ec uh, economy and small government. And when you have the, the government not involved in anything, you'll have a much more free economy, much more free world, much more free market, and everything's good. But in Singapore, it's different. It's the opposite. You have an extremely free economy, but an extremely, extremely like centralized and controlling government. How does that? But they're free. So they protect civil rights instead of saying, well, let you know, we're not going to, we're instead of, we're basically Singapore was like, we're going to legislate morality instead of letting the people kind of, and it's been kind of working. So what do you think about that? Well, I, I think it, it's really, if you look behind, below the layers, right? Capitalism is that it's important because it drives the economy. It's just in various forms, right? Um, having freedom of speech now, what kind, what value? So, freedom of speech is also it comes with various levels, and with that also comes various types of responsibilities and expectations of what that brings about. So, it's not to say that in Singapore, because of specific government policies, that means um, a certain you know. Um, uh, a, a sterile environment, uh, not necessarily, right? But yeah. it's, it's how they find a way to harmonize, you know, create harmony around so, uh, massive, uh, uh, different cultures, different types of people, all walks of life, right? With a form of uh, tolerance that, you know, you can still be able to say what you want to say, but, you know, being politically correct can still be, manage properly, you know, in that sense. And that's a, a different way of um, doing business, I would say. It's just a different culture. Would no, it, does no, it work I, better or not? No, it's hard to say. I think, I think for the, for the purpose of this conversation, but for the purpose of the world, we should be allowed to experiment on different models and different types without coming after each other. Um, and jurisdictional shopping, actually, I don't even know if I like that term, but like the so what I think, Jonathan, is going to happen now is you're going to see a huge geographical shift, but people are looking too small. They're looking, oh, yeah, people from New York are going to move to Florida. I think that's going to be bigger than that. I think you're going to start to see countries like Singapore and others start to go and start to attract, try to attract specific type of people to, be, to live there and be residents and work there. Um, and you're going to see these countries start to offer more different types of uh, benefits, but also like pros and cons. So you have a company like a country like Singapore say, Hey, look, this is our model. This is the way we work. Come and live here. And now I think it's important to, to investigate those different type of, of options and see, see like where the world is. And I think that's one of the things that's going to come out of, of, of COVID Do you, before COVID, did you travel a lot? Did you, did you ever feel like borders were a real thing or were you traveling all over and saying, it doesn't really matter. It's just the language and the food is the only thing different. No, I, I would travel every two weeks, actually. And there you go. I would, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I'm, I've been all over the world, met all types of, uh, all types of people from all walks of life. I've always found everyone to be very interesting and bring about very different perspectives of, of, um, of the world and the culture, right? That they come from. So I think it's important to, you know, meet as many people as you can and hear all these various opinions, right? Yeah. And what matters at the end of the day is you sit, sitting down and just reflecting, all right, what makes the most sense 
what is it that makes me happy actually? You exactly. Know? What makes me happy? That should be what everyone should be asking themselves. It's not about other people. You spend so much time pushing your opinion on everyone else. You forget what matters to you. What do you care about? What do you love? Why are you here on this in this earth? What are you doing here? You see too much of that. Okay, come on. This is so cool. This is the new BitPay card that I have in my hand, and I'm so excited to be finally having the new one that just came out. Now, guys, I've been using the BitPay card since 2016. Yeah, you heard that right. Way before I started Untold Stories, way before BitPay became a sponsor of mine, I've been using this card, and it literally became a way for me to have a bank account uh, for many, many years, as, as a lot of people in crypto need banking, need better banking. The BitPay card is chock full of the coolest features. It's got contactless pay, uh, better rates and limits, no fees to convert from Bitcoin right onto the card, added in chip security. I mean, it's sexy. It looks good, unlike other cards. It's so easy to get. Just download the BitPay app on your phone, click the card icon, and you can do it right there. If you use the promo code CharlieJune20, your card is free. Remember, CharlieJune20. 20. It's in the show notes. You can get a free card. So literally, just from listening to my show today, and make sure you actually listen, you can get a free card just by entering that code. So download the BitPay app, get the coolest card on the market, the best card on the market. I've been using it for over four years now. I know there are so many cards out there, but the BitPay brand is the oldest and longest running Bitcoin company in the world. I mean, that's who issues this card. This is the card you want to have. Remember, Charlie, June 20, download the BitPay app on iOS or Android to sign up for the new card. You're going to freaking love it. There's no question that crypto and gaming have gone hand in hand since the early days of Bitcoin when it first launched. And in fact, that's what really drove mass adoption. Companies like BitCasino, which is the first ever licensed Bitcoin casino, and brands like Sportsbet.io. I mean, it's the reason people are using crypto and Bitcoin today. Fun fast and fair. When you're using uh, blockchain-based gaming, make sure you require that they are fair because there's no reason that they shouldn't be transparent because everything can be seen on the blockchain. Coin gaming is so cool. It's an ecosystem of brands, products, and people that are serious not just about shaking up the gaming industry, but also the crypto industry. These guys have been around since the early days of Bitcoin. The CEO of Coin Gaming used to actually mine for Bitcoin and, and use the Bitcoin miner to heat his home in Estonia. I mean, those go down to like negative 25 degrees. So if you're, if you're cool about driving crypto awareness together, if you got a question or you just want to connect with your team of like dreamers and doers, the whole community, make sure you check them out coingaming.io, play some of their games, sportsbet.io, or BitCasino, fun, fast, and fair. I'm Charlie Sharma. I'll talk to you guys right in a minute. Want to change gears because the time is running away from us. Talk to me about Bitsy. What makes Bitsy different? Um, I want to just say uh, you guys are, uh, uh, I am uh, an influencer for you guys. I do consulting. And so I want to just throw that out there to all the listeners that I do tweet about Bitsy very frequently. And talk about your OTC and debit card platform. But um, yeah, tell me about like what excites you and, and how you got started with that. Uh, sure. Okay. I mean, I started in this space pretty late, right? Um, started out on a, a pet project, a mining project in 2016. Um, and then finally, I actually learned about the economics behind Bitcoin and that got me intrigued and that got me started. What are the economics behind Bitcoin? I don't think anyone knows. The economic, well, it's very simple, right? It's a limited supply. It keeps decreasing as long as people believe in it. 
there's a there's a value that people believe in it. That's where it it just works, right? Yep. And you can't really change the the code in it, right? Like like if you if you watch that movie iRobot back in the day, right? That there are like three laws that are, are hard that are encoded into it, its DNA. And you don't have um, a financial product or asset that has that, you know, hard coded into it. So for me, those are the key metrics that would drive the economics of Bitcoin. So, I mean, naturally, of course, as prices appreciate, you know, you start to take notice of, of more things. Yeah. And then you realize that, hey, uh, you know, the platforms out there back then, you know, they were complex to use. They're not very reliable, right? Getting monies into Bitcoin was actually an uphill battle, right? Yeah. So uh, that's where we decided that, you know, if we're going to do something, we do it right. These days, everyone's just so used to ease of use, convenience. You know, it's in your daily routine. We actually take all these things for granted. You know, something that we can pay for coffee, um, just with a tap of my card, be able to wirelessly transfer monies. We, these are things we really take for granted, but they are run on legacy systems, legacy infrastructure, right? That's not interconnected properly, right? You're still remitting monies very inefficiently via the SWIFT network, right? And there's so much more efficient ways to do it, but that also takes you know, a, a global effort to make everything work, a new standard. So when we set in set up to build Bitsy, it was not just to build an exchange. It was something that we believed that we could, with our, exp- our prior experiences, build up institutional standards to make it possible that the cryptocurrency space can actually coexist with what we have in the financial space and actually help improve that a notch up. You see. Hmm. So a, re- a result of that is we ha- we've got, you know, our exchange that offers spot and futures uh, trading. Um, we've got OTC. We've got a settlement layer. Um, we've got asset conversions. Um, Why are you pricing um, a relatively new thing? You're pricing uh, uh, gold futures in Bitcoin. Because, see, I think that the greatest competitor to Bitcoin is gold. Right. And for that belief, I'm actually curious to see how that that plays out. Right. I mean, you've got gold that has been that store of value that recognized reserve um, asset. Right. Um, For thousands of years. And the biggest problem with that is gold has never been that liquid. Right. True story. Right. So now if I digitize gold. And I make it an ERC-20 contract, the amount of accessibility that everyone has immediately without having to worry about handling, authenticity, borders, that, that changes it totally, right? Uh, you, it does. And, and I want to uh, uh, tangent super quickly for a second and come back to this. because uh, you, you, Do you think Ethereum, uh, as an exchange owner... Is Ethereum does Ethereum have enough like enough critical mass or market share that really any other of these blockchains as better as they are and as better scaling and efficiencies as they are blah 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 you know 
TRN20 contracts or whatever Tron calls their version of the RC20. Like, do you think at the end of the day, any of these will, because if you go, I mean, the amount of ETH trading pairs there are is just staggering. So I just, I find it hard to see a competitor to Ethereum. And just full disclosure, I have, I own a half an ETH right now. Like that's where I am at. Um, I do own a lot of Bitcoin. What? That's fine. That's fine. I should I mean, own more Ethereum, but I've I've owned a lot over the. I actually use Ethereum more than I hold it. Interestingly enough, I I, I hold and save Bitcoin, but I use Ethereum. Uh, interestingly enough, but that's not on purpose. It's just the way the world, you know, the the way the world works. Right. So when it comes I don't want to spend Bitcoin, I don't mind spending Ethereum. <laughs> well, because Vitalik has been telling me that that Ethereum is not money for years. I mean, I would sit and eat lobster with him on Monday nights and be telling me that Bitcoin that Ethereum is not money. So what am I supposed to do? Well, I mean, uh, you know, and Ethereum as a protocol, it's just widely adopted at this stage, right? Yeah. But, you know, there the are many options out there. For us, uh, as an exchange for inter-exchange settlement and what it serves, we do have our views on why we prefer, say, Blockstream Liquid. But adoption, of course, is another thing, right? Yeah. So, but, you know, having things, uh, what Ethereum is priced at and how it's being priced and why... It's just because right now there is widespread adoption, uh, you know, across all the exchanges. That's what it comes out to. Yeah, but you know, come to our platform, have a look. We we've got a multi-currency order book. You know, you can price it in any type of asset. If you want to see Bitcoin priced in, well, or just say Ethereum priced in any kind of asset uh, against Bitcoin, against Monero. It took so long to, to do that. Come again. I'm surprised it took so long to do that. A lot of uh, all the exchanges wouldn't put pairs until there was volume. And I said, but I just want to see what my token is worth relative to Ethereum or Bitcoin. I said, well, there's no Ethereum or Bitcoin pair for this. There's only USDT. I said, it doesn't make any sense. Why can't you just change the drop down menu to show me the relative value and I can trade that way? So thank you for doing that. <laughs> um, but anyways, before the tangent... Going back to what we were talking about, you know, the global world and, and Bitsy and everything. Um, do you think it's a healthy, uh, important in the market for super, super competition between all the exchanges and derivative exchanges and spot trading exchanges and everything like that? Or I don't even know if I like to use the word exchanges, but these places where buyers and sellers come together. Is competition important and good to a point where you guys like can yell at each other online? Not that I see much of that anymore. Or is it like... You know, someone said they all the Bitcoin exchanges should form like a consortium. I'm like, that's the worst idea. But what do you think? I think a variety is good, right? I, I mean, let's say you're looking for a life partner. It's like someone saying that, hey, you got to go with this person or that person. Or you got to yeah. like this type of person, right? I think a good variety brings about good, healthy. Um, what's the word for it? Just good, healthy. If, if desire is a word for yeah. it, but mm, you know what I mean. Um, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, back to my point. Um, yeah, good variety, I think, is always good. Uh, I, everyone brings different strengths and products to the table, but that's where we believe we stand out because we want to serve as that infrastructure layer of services where. You know, you have a great idea. You don't want to spend too much um, hassle developing something. We'll provide you an API and you can actually build on top of that. So we actually provide you all these ease of services 
to serve your target clientele. We believe that this is important and not many people are doing it in this space. Everyone's just building a product which is always very focused and very specific to something. But if you're focused on the greater good of, you know, you do you actually look and, and remember the guys who built a great city, who laid out the best roads, who helped, you know, build up all that infrastructure? No, you're right. So, so on that infrastructure note, are we done building products and infrastructure that we need and now we're building more things that we want? Or are there still infrastructure plays or things in our industry that are still so strongly needed that we're still building those too? Like when you build Bitsy, you felt that the standards and efficiencies of Bitcoin trading weren't good enough to your standards. So you created this company. Are there other types of infrastructure and companies and products that we still need? Or do you look at our industry and say, this is lacking, we're missing this? Yes, that's the whole point. That's why we're focused not on building up one vertical, but mul multiple verticals, right? Yeah. If you build any product, the first thing you go to is you go back to basics. You don't look at what you look at what's out there, what's already done as a reference point, right? As what your competitors are doing. But rather than creating a clone of it, you go look for your own blue ocean, right? And this is where you go back, you go to the drawing board and you decide and you figure out what is it that people actually need, right? Not just say, hey, I'm going to copy this because this one has volume and there's demand here. What type, I guess, what types of, of, of companies now or, or, or products should we be, should we be looking at? Like you're, you're looking, I see a lot of, uh, still like infrastructure plays of, of exchanges. I see uh, miners still launching more uh, different types of mining chips and different mining rigs. Uh, are you following the mining industry at all? Uh, just a bit, not too much. Do you, do you guys have a mining pool? Do you have uh, a lot of miners and things like that? We, we don't have a mining pool. I mean, I used to mine quite a bit. Um, as a side project with some friends. Uh, but that's the most that it got to. And um, we do have a mining play that we're interested to to look at. Um, and that's something that we are, you know, down the road, we will be looking at. Tell me about your, your debit card. What, what makes it different? Well, it's got quite a bit of cool features, I would say. Um, we're able to offer it globally. Okay. Um, that's right there. That's like the best feature because most of them can't do that. <laughs> Um, it's, it supports a dozen of, uh, it supports a dozen of currencies that you can actually load directly into your card. So, um, you can actually, all you have to do is fund your Bitsy wallet and that supports, I, I believe 10 fiat currencies and a whole bunch of cryptocurrencies. You can immediately convert that on the platform and you can load it up directly, uh, into the card into the currency that you plan to spend on. So you can actually save on the FX fees too. Um, we've got one of the highest limits, I would believe. Uh, for a debit card, you can have a monthly spend up to uh, 250,000 uh, wow. USD. The most that I know is 25,000. So that's a pretty significant difference. Oh, so now it's basically a bank account where the other cards were more like 
The other cards are like novelty prepaid cards. I use, I've been using the BitPay card since 2016, but I'm excited to get your card so I could try it out and see if I'll switch over. I'm a big Bitcoin card person. I have like six of them. I use, I love using all them all. Yeah, and well, you can fund it with Ethereum if you want. No, I my half of Ethereum, I could fund it. <laughs> hey, do you think? Do you think if the Ethereum, like the whole DAO spectacle, happened like today, it would have been treated differently than 2016 when it happened? Why would it be different? Well, because Ethereum is a lot bigger now. When Ethereum was around, it was still very nascent. It was only a year or two old, or maybe three years old, and it wasn't as big. So, you know, basically rolling back and freezing the hackers funds and doing, I forget exactly what I did because it's controversial. Basically, Ethereum decide, Ethereum was at a crossroads and would, do they accept immutability or do they accept their version of consensus? Because Ethereum says, the Ethereum Foundation says that the consensus said to roll back. So do you think that if that had happened now, they would have foregone that all the hacker, you know, so like for the sake of immutability and for the sake of the integrity of our chain, we're not going to roll it back. You think that's what it would say now or you would have the, the Ethereum miners of the 12 people in the room that decided to roll back would go back and say, nope, we're going to do it. We're going to save everyone's money because we're in a different time now. Ethereum is like 10 times the size. Well, yes. I mean, and, you know, if it was me, honestly... Integrity is integrity. You don't compromise on integrity. True story. Yeah, but that's but that's what happened in with Ethereum. I mean, you know. Um, yeah. Back- well, you know, we, we can't make decisions. You know, if someone made their mind to do this, then I mean, that's what you believe in, and that's what you're backing. So you know, hey guys, True. you know. <laughs> what's your What's your take um, on scaling in general? Uh, scaling is important. Everything that we, we build is has to be built for scale. If not, why build it, right? It's true. But how do you, you're an engineer, I'm not. Like, how do you scale a blockchain the best way possible? I know it's a very loaded, like, big question. But I guess I'm trying to ask, like, uh, going the route that we're going down with Bitcoin, I think it's, it's the best route. Um, you have a lot of other blockchains that are saying that we don't care the size of our actual um, our actual uh, blockchain, like how many gigabytes it is and, and how efficient it is to move data. Do you think that um, that's something that we need to care about? Like we need to keep everything as small as possible or uh, what are your feelings on this? Well, as an, ex- as an exchange owner, mm-hmm. it's a real pain in the ass with all these design flaws. For us to sync up a node, it takes forever. And then the reliability of the node and then to maintain multiple nodes just to ensure consistency right so how if you create such a huge barrier how do you expect easy adoption right oh you're right so design does matter but you know when these things were designed other than bitcoin right um a lot of these recent blockchains they're built by people not necessarily with the appropriate experiences uh, in building such things I mean, anyone can build, a, you know, a, a simple program, but to have that skill to handle millions of, of uh, requests a second, it's very different, right? And so, well, do you have to interface constantly with, I guess, like, so, so with 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 Bitcoin, you have like you have the main the main chain, but now you have so many layers that we're building on top of like Lightning, and you have. 
um, side chains and uh, all, you know, you have Blockstream, but you have Lightning Labs and you have all these different companies that are that are trying to, to scale and build on top of Bitcoin. And that's great. So so when there's an issue um, or something's wrong, you're not like interfacing with the main chain right now. You're interfacing with the layer on top of that. And it's really good for security and scaling. Ethereum and others have gone a different route and doing all their scaling on chain. Does that I guess I'm looking for an engineer perspective, like for what are the, the pros of doing that and what are the cons of doing that? Well, I would say, you know, the two angles to it, right? Some yeah. people say microservices are good, but then monolith systems are bad. But, you know, not necessarily. It really comes down to the use case. So it really comes down to the application of it, right? And some side chains are trying to solve very specific problems. And you have a separate group of people specifically looking to solve and address a specific use case. So I think that adds to, you know, the modularity of an entire design, yeah. which is good. I So I remember, um, it's funny that you say modul- m- modular, my, my, my limited like knowledge of, of engineering. Um, I remember when we, when we were launching BitInstant, my partner Gareth told me, he said, the best thing that we can do is to build this company like puzzle pieces. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, if we can separate and build the company in different parts that work together, it's easier to isolate the problems. It's better for hackers, you know, to be able to get into separate instances and things like that. If they do get in, it's very limited, but it's also easier to scale that way. when you have like, instead of just packing it all into one code base, um, that would be like the future. So if it's so simple and it's it's so it's such a good idea, and if you look at any other industry, that's how they would scale is to build layers and layers. Then why was why was the scaling debate so contested? Well, I, I mean, I can't it comp- political. No, I mean, I I can't really comment on on what I'm not so familiar with. But what I would say is, for me, when we built things like that, I, I think you mentioned a very good point that building it up as a puzzle. And for me, when we realized that we built something wrong, I spent, let's say, a week building up something. I thought, you know, this will be a good design. I've, re- I've repeatedly done this and I've just scraped the whole thing and rebuilt it from scratch again. Really? And, at, at, you know, um, if we were to count the number of times I've done this, uh, I, I couldn't, I couldn't count because every time, every time I realized that I designed this wrongly, I knew that it was not possible to save it. We have to, you know, go back to the drawing board, but that's also good because when you think of it like basic puzzle pieces, you're building all these pieces independently, and then you're just trying to make it fit and make it all come together. So you put these two things together that's how you really achieve real scale, right? And the the whole point is, hey, if I came up with this design and I thought it was brilliant, what's stopping me with coming up with something even better than that, right? That's a very good attitude to have, but you're also like constantly uh, thinking that you could do better, but then so you're not happy, you're rebuilding everything all the time. No, I'm just joking. I exaggerate. I know, I know. I'm just teasing. But what... um. So how do you, do, are you doing like active developing at Bitsy now? Uh, how do you like interface with all your developers uh, um, on a daily basis? I, I still do. 
I still do. Uh, it's because, you know, 15 years of experience building up high, high performance systems comes with a lot of experience. And what we want to do is try and have our engineers be able to learn quickly and adapt from that. So it also does require, you know, um, guidance. I love to code. Um, there are very key features that I will code um, just because I like the complexity behind what's the, it. What's your favorite thing you've ever coded? Well, I would say Bitsy's a core matching engine, right? Really? That's all. Yeah, that, that always drives me because, you know, here and there, there'll always be some cool features that, that needs to be done. And um, yeah, it's, it's just a passion, I would say. Yeah, you're, um, if you look at it, like, if I built that, I'd be always looking at the metrics, like how much money is moving through, how many trades, how many transactions, and saying to myself, like, wow, like, I'm almost, you, it's something to make proud of yourself every day. You look at that and say, I built that, uh, I built that, and you have, you know, tens of thousands or however many people that are using it on a daily basis. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing piece of, of infrastructure. Well, what's the fun part is what's next, right? <laughs> what is next? What's, I mean, like you seem to be someone who is constantly restless on wanting to set the bar forward for your own standards. You seem to be like, just from talking to you, you seem to be like setting your standards constantly higher and higher and higher. Uh, I wish I had that drive. I, I kind of do, but I, uh, I want to like continue to make sure I continue to have that. Uh, so now what's exciting you? What are you investing in? Because maybe it's something that I want to follow or invest in or do. Well, I mean, you, you start to see the things that we do as an exchange or as Bitsy as a brand, not even the exchange. You, you'll see the features that we offer um, in time to come um, will be more advanced than, than a lot of the other regular exchanges just, just because they're very specific to one market, uh, one niche. Is that bad or not? No, not necessarily. Um, I'll, where I, I have the most fun and why I started venture building is because I love to meet brilliant people and I love to work together with them and bring that all together in, in synergies and partnerships. And that's where it's really fun because you see a lot of different perspectives and you see different markets that you never knew about. Where are you looking forward to traveling to the most when the world opens back up? Um, I've, I've got a long list actually. Oh, business, business and pleasure. pleasure. Give me, give me both. Uh, pleasure. I love Europe. Yeah, me too. I'm, that's what I most, I miss the most just traveling and exploring the random cities and eating good food. Yes. Uh, Asia, Asia's all usually work food, but yeah, you know, I, I do love a good drink and anywhere I can get a good drink with friends. Yeah, me too. My my two are Europe. I was supposed to go to a wedding. I'm supposed to be at a wedding right now in Spain, so I'm missing that. Sad. Um, and then also, um, I was planning a big. I was planning on doing a huge. I was planning on spending like three months this year, uh, with my wife uh, between Tokyo, Singapore, and a bunch of other places in Asia. So it's a shame that we couldn't do that. But those are the two places that I miss the most. I think out of everyone. Yeah, well, hopefully everything starts to open up by the end of the year, you know, maybe. 
things are things here things here have mostly opened up uh you see people wearing masks and things that have uh the biggest worry like immuno you know um autoimmune deficiencies and things like that so it's getting better slowly slowly but surely but it's good to be able to talk to you thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me today i really appreciate it such a fun and great show great conversation learned so much and i know the listeners will too likewise yeah man thank you so much and i'll talk to you soon thank you charlie cheers hey everyone thanks for listening new episodes of untold stories are released every tuesday and thursday at 7 a.m est on untoldstories.com apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast untold stories is produced by jason yanowitz michael e polito reed hannaford and riley silbert of blockworks group our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offer. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Shrem. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember... Please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers and information is power.